Section 22 of God and My Neighbour This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Algie Pug God and My Neighbour by Robert Blatchford Section 22 Christian Apologies Christian apologists make some daring claims on behalf of their religion. The truth of Christianity is proved, they say, by its endurance and by its power. The beneficence of its results testifies to the divinity of its origin. These claims command wide acceptance, for the simple reason that those who deny them cannot get a hearing. The Christians have virtual command of all the churches, universities and schools. They have the countenance and support of the thrones, parliaments, cabinets and aristocracies of the world, and they have the nominal support of the world's newspaper press. They have behind them the traditions of eighteen centuries. They have formidable allies in the shape of whole schools of philosophy and whole libraries of eloquence and learning. They have the zealous service and unswerving credence of millions of honest and worthy citizens and they are defended by solid ramparts of prejudice and sentiment and obstinate old custom. The odds against the rationalists are tremendous. To challenge the claims of Christianity is easy. To get the challenge accepted is very hard. Rationalists' books and papers are boycotted. The Christians will not listen, will not reason, will not, if they can prevent it, allow a hostile voice to be heard. Thus, from sheer lack of knowledge, the public accept the Christian apologist's assertions as demonstrated truth. And the Christians claim this immunity from attack as a triumph of their arms and a further proof of the truth of their religion. Religion has been attacked before, they cry, and where now are its assailants? And the answer must be that many of its assailants are in their graves, but that some of them are yet alive, and there are more to follow. But the combat is very unequal. If the rationalists could, only for a few years, have the support of the crowns, parliaments, aristocracies, universities, schools, and newspapers of the world, if they could preach science and reason twice every Sunday from a hundred thousand pulpits, perhaps the Christians would have less cause for boasting. But, as things are, we infidels must cease to sigh for whirlwinds and do the best we can with the bellows. So. The Christians claim that their religion has done wonders for the world, a claim disputed by the rationalists. Now, when we consider what Christianity has done, we should take account of the evil as well as the good, but this the Christians are unwilling to allow. Christians declare that the divine origin and truth of their religion are proved by its beneficent results. But Christianity has done evil as well as good. Mr. G. K. Chesterton, while defending Christianity in the Daily News, said, quote, Christianity has committed crimes so monstrous that the sun might sicken at them in heaven. End quote. And no one can refute that statement. But Christians evade the dilemma. When the evil works of their religion are cited, they reply that those evils were wrought by false Christianity, that they were contrary to the teachings of Christ, and so were not the deeds of Christians at all. The Christian Commonwealth, in advancing above plea as to real and false Christianity, instances the difference between astrology and astronomy, and said, quote, We fear Mr. Blatchford, 
if he has any sense of consistency, must, when he has finished his tirade against Christianity, turn his artillery on Greenwich Observatory, and proclaim the Astronomer Royal a scientific quack, on account of the follies of stargazers in the past. End quote. But that parallel is not a true one. Let us suppose that the follies of astrology and the discoveries of astronomy were bound up in one book, and called The Word of God. Let us suppose we were told that the whole book, facts, reason, folly, and falsehoods, was divinely inspired and literally true. Let us suppose that anyone who denied the old crude errors of astrology was persecuted as a heretic. Let us suppose that anyone denying the theory of Laplace, or the theory of Copernicus, would be reviled as an infidel. Let us suppose that the Astronomer Royal claimed infallibility, not only in matters astronomical, but also in politics and morals. Let us suppose that for a thousand years the astrological, astronomical holy government had whipped, imprisoned, tortured, burned, hanged, and damned for everlasting every man, woman, and child who dared to tell it any new truth, and that some of the noblest men of genius of all ages had been roasted or impaled alive for being rude to the equator. Let us suppose that millions of pounds were still annually spent on casting nativities, and that thousands of expensive observatories were still maintained at the public cost for astrological rites. Let us suppose all this, and then I should say it would be quite consistent and quite logical for me to turn my verbal artillery on Greenwich Observatory. Would the Christians listen to such a plea in any other case? Had socialists been guilty of tyranny, or war, of massacre, or torture, of blind opposition to the truth of science, of cruel persecution of the finest human spirits for fifteen centuries, can anyone believe for a moment that Christians would heed the excuse that the founders of socialism had not preached the atrocious policies which the established socialist bodies and the recognized socialist leaders had put in force persistently during all those hundreds of cruel years? Would the Christian hearken to such a defense from a socialist or from a Mohammedan? Would a liberal accept it from a Tory? Would a Roman Catholic admit it from a Jew? Neither is it right to claim credit for the good deeds and to avoid responsibility for the evil deeds of the divine religion. And the fact must be insisted upon that all religion, in its very nature, makes for persecution and oppression. It is the assumption that it is wicked to doubt the accepted faith and the presumption that one religion ought to revenge or justify its God upon another religion that leads to all the pious crimes the world groans and bleeds for. This is seen in the Russian outrages on the Jews, and in the Moslem outrages upon the Macedonians today. It is religious fanaticism that lights and fans and feeds the fire. Were all the people in the world of one, or of no, religion today, there would be no Jews murdered by Christians, and no Christians murdered by Moslems in the East. The cause of the atrocities would be gone. The cause is religion. Why is religious intolerance so much more fierce and bitter than political intolerance? Just because it is religious. It is the supernatural element that breeds the fury. It is the feeling that their religion is divine and all other religions wicked. 
it is the belief that it is a holy thing to be jealous for the lord that drives men into blind rage and ruthless savagery we have to regard two things at once then the good influences of christ's ethics and the evil deeds of those who profess to be his followers as to what some christians call the christianity of christ i suggest that the teachings of christ were imperfect and inadequate that they contain some moral lessons i admit but some of the finest and most generally admired of those lessons do not appear to have been spoken by christ and for the rest there is nothing in his ethics that had not been taught by men before and little that has not been extended or improved by men since his era the new testament considered as a moral and spiritual guide for mankind is unsatisfactory for it is based upon an erroneous estimate of human nature and of god i am sure that it would be easy to compile a book more suitable to the needs of man i think it is a gross blunder to assume that all the genius all the experience all the discovery and research all the poetry morality and science of the entire human race during the past eighteen hundred years have failed to add to or improve the knowledge and morality of the first century mixed with much that is questionable or erroneous the new testament contains some truth and beauty amid the perpetration of much bloodshed and tyranny christianity has certainly achieved some good i should not like to say of any religion that all its works were evil but christ's message as we have it in the gospels is neither clear nor sufficing and has been obscured and at times almost obliterated by the pomps and casuistries of the schools and churches and just as it is difficult to discover the actual jesus among the conflicting gospel stories of his works and words so it is almost impossible to discover the genuine authentic christian religion amid the swarm of more or less antagonistic sects who confound the general ear with their discordant testimonies End of section 22